official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. The last few weeks, I have been reflecting on the gospel's message that life is about more than me. And I've been thinking a lot, especially this last week, of how challenging and comforting that message is. It's comforting because it's good to know that there's something bigger than me that I get to be a part of called the kingdom of God, right? It's challenging because sometimes I think I want life to be all about me. Um, this last week, I, I had a staycation. Do you guys know what a staycation is? It's a vacation, but you didn't save money, so you don't go anywhere, and it becomes a, a staycation. And I wanted, I wanted this week's staycation for me to be about rest and to be about recreation, because we all need those things, right? We need rest. We need recreation. But there were times that I thought to myself, this is the life. There was times that I was thinking during my staycation, this is the life, man. I, I don't have to get up for anything. I have no uh, place I have to be. If only I could do this every day. Have you ever thought that before when you were on vacation? But when I got honest enough with myself, I realized the root of that thought uh, was that um, life is pretty good when it's all about me. Now, I know that's not true, right? I know from my own personal experience, I know from the teachings of Jesus, that when we get caught up in meism, it leads us to a pretty dark place, which is why Jesus directly challenged the pursuit of meism. He taught us that the way to find life is to what? To lose it, right? He said, if you want to find your life, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And this week, is I was kind of living and reflecting and experiencing that tension of, of losing my life, but finding the life that Jesus offers. I, I was both challenged and comforted. I was challenged because who wants to lose their life? Right? But I was comforted because I'm looking for the kind of life that Jesus offers. And today, I'm acutely aware, I would say, that there are other people here who are experiencing and living in that same tension. How do you, how do you lose your life and, and find your life in Jesus? And that's something that all of us as, as followers of Jesus have in common. And the Bible has a word that describes that commonality. And it's a Greek word. It's used 20 times in the New Testament. And it's the word koinonia. Can you say that with me? Koinonia. See, every week this summer, you've been learning Greek and Hebrew. 
right? We've been going over one Hebrew or one Greek word. We've been digging down to its roots to investigate its full root system and its full meaning. And the word we're going to look at today is koinonia. Now, we don't have an English word that encapsulates the full meaning of this Greek word. And so usually in the New Testament, when you, when you read the word koinonia, it's translated into our English Bibles one of four ways. It'll either say participation, partnership, sharing, or fellowship. Now, unfortunately, the term fellowship in our day has come to mean little more than, than Christian social activity. But that is not the meaning of koinonia. Koinonia has a much richer meaning than that. Let me give you a definition of koinonia. It's enjoying real relationships while partnering together in the mission of Jesus. I'll say that again. Koinonia is enjoying real relationships while partnering together in the mission of Jesus. Sociologists tell us that there are two kinds of relationships that make up our social network. The first kind of relationship is called a strong tie relationship. And strong ties are those real committed, long-term ties that require lots of time and effort. They're difficult. They're slow to develop. They require sacrifice. They involve face-to-face encounters and conversations. They require conflict resolution. They, they involve extending grace and forgiveness. They're a lot of work. Weak ties, on the other hand, are much easier to form and maintain. Uh, social media platforms are great right, at building weak ties. Connection's convenient. It's fast. There's an immediate payoff. It, it's fairly easy to project your best self, Right? Uh, we can post our very best moments and kind of easily hide or cover up our worst moments. And when we do that, when we use these media platforms, essentially we're saying, look how together my life is. Right? If you go to Facebook or the IG right now, as the kids call it, <laughs> you, you, could, you would see pictures and you say, look at how wonderful the food is that I eat. Look, look at how happy I am. The adventures that I live are so much better than the adventures that you live. Uh, isn't my life amazing? Don't you wish you were me? <laughs> or don't you at least wish you could be my friend? Well, you can. And it's super convenient. You see the little friend thing? Just click that and you and I will be legit friends. Right? That's what, that's what those platforms do. So they connect us, but, but they build what sociologists call a weak tie. And what happens is this. We convince ourselves that we have lots of friends. And it's not long before we start forfeiting the work of, of the hard work of building and forming and maintaining strong ties with real people. And instead, we settle for weak ties because they're a lot easier to build and maintain. They feed our compulsion to be liked and to feel impressive. And before long, our strong ties start to diminish in our life, and our inner person just slowly wilts away. Now, I know that that doesn't apply to anyone here. None of us struggle with that. It was all hypothetical. But nonetheless, here's why 
understanding koinonia is so vital, especially in the day that we live, because it does something that weak ties can't accomplish. It helps us enjoy real relationships while partnering together in the mission of Jesus. You know what koinonia does is it makes life more than just about us. See, a lot of your weak ties, they're still about you. Because a lot of your weak ties are shallow in the surfacey. And so you're projecting what you want people to see. And you really want people to see the best parts of you. And so it's really your weak ties are, are you focused. Where strong ties reach out into others. See, let me, let me give you a couple reasons why koinonia is much more than just Christian social activity. Because that's a lot of times when we think of fellowship, that's what we think of. Number one... Koinonia is a corrective to our tendency toward an individualistic approach to faith in Jesus. It's a corrective to our tendency toward an individualistic approach to faith in Jesus. Another thing Koinonia does is is it speaks directly to the growing epidemic of crowded loneliness. You guys know what crowded loneliness is? It's when you're around people everywhere you go, yet you still feel lonely. And that is a growing epidemic in our culture. Koinonia speaks directly to that. Koinonia also resists the division and polarization that is rampant in the world today. How many of you guys are just tired of the polarization and divisiveness in the world? It's all around, right? Koinonia resists that. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together this morning. I want to look at the first usage of the word koinonia in Scripture. And then I want to discuss three things that koinonia accomplishes that the world desperately needs. So can we do that this morning? Let's let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. The first usage of the word koinonia is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you're not familiar with that chapter of Scripture, it's the story of Pentecost. So Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and he's ascended to heaven. And his followers are left on earth waiting for the Holy Spirit, as Jesus told them. And so they're meeting together in an upper room. there's 120 of them. And the Holy Spirit shows up. A great rushing wind fills the room and a pillar of fire comes in the room. And it breaks off into all these little cloves of fire. And they settle over each person's head. And they they start... speaking in tongues and other languages. And it just so happened at that same time that people from all over the world were gathered together in Jerusalem for a religious festival. And they started hearing people speak in their unlearned people, uneducated people, speaking in their own languages about Jesus. And so Peter stands up and he delivers a sermon. And it says 3,000 people are added to the church that day. That's Acts chapter 2. And right after that, this, this birthing of, of this, the New Testament church, listen to what they did. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
four things. And so koinonia becomes one of the first four spiritual practices of following Jesus. It becomes one of the first four spiritual rhythms of discipleship. And in the following verses, we see them exhibiting proof of koinonia. Verse 44 says this, And all the believers went home, friended each other on Facebook, and tried to avoid personal interaction. (laughs) Because they wanted to maintain their personal space and continue pursuing their individualistic approach to following Jesus. Glory, hallelujah. What a powerful verse. Let Let me read what it really says. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, the proof, as they say, is in the pudding, right? The proof of koinonia is they're sharing their material possessions. They're eating together and enjoying one another's company. Even the introverts are involved in this. And you know the Holy Spirit's moving when introverts are rejoicing about being with other people. I know I'm an introvert, but even introverts need koinonia, right? And in the following chapters, we see this group of people, they they participate and partner together in the mission of Jesus. And I don't think it's coincidental that the very, very first image of the early church is a family of believers who care for one another and engage the mission of Jesus together. Very first picture we get in Acts chapter 2. Okay, now let me give you three things that Koinonia accomplishes that the world needs. And let me start by saying this. You guys know that we live in a post-Christian context, right? And what I mean by that is most people in our culture, in our society, they think that Christian community and the church have nothing of real value to offer the world. Um, But I want to kind of argue against that and give three reasons, um, three things that koinonia accomplishes that the the world sorely needs. First of all, koinonia upends society's rules. It is an economic and cultural anomaly. Let me explain what I mean by that. Society tells us this, that people without money position, and power are less honorable. But Koinonia recognizes them as a gift. It looks for opportunities to honor them. It supplants economic, cultural, racial, denominational divisions. Society tells us that you have to be educated to contribute anything of value. Koinonia encourages a woman with a PhD and a a man with a a GED to learn from one another. Society tells us that we should vilify people who disagree with us. Koinonia resists division and polarization. Society tells us it's okay to make enemies. 
But koinonia is a place where strangers and enemies are made into friends and family. It teaches us how to live together as citizens in God's kingdom. It has no room for elitism or racism or nationalism. It it, it takes us directly to the place where we can taste our future reality. See, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, that one day every nation, tongue, tribe will come together and lift one voice to God in worship. And we get to taste that. That's what koinonia is. It's a taste of that future reality. It upends all of society's rules. I think that's something that the world needs. Don't you? Let me tell you another thing Quinonia does. It invites us to submit to God and to one another. Now, in our culture, the word submit's kind of a bad word. Right? We don't particularly uh, grow fond of that word, submit, because we value autonomy. We value personal freedom. And yet, what I notice, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but our anxiety, our fear, our discontent continues to grow the more autonomy and freedom we get. It doesn't, it doesn't actually follow through on what it promises. What if Jesus was right? What if in order to find our life, we have to first lose it? What if we really have to to lose our life in order to find it in in that abundant life that comes from submitting to God, submitting our life to God and submitting to one another? See, if if there's one thing that Quinonia reminds us of, it's this. When we get all wrapped up in ourselves, we're left with a really small package. And yet, culture and society tells us this message. Meism, right? Just make your life all about you. But the scriptures exhort us time and again to submit ourselves to God and to one another. Man, I think the world would be in such a better place if we learned how to submit ourselves to God and to one another, right? And I think, I think the world needs to see a healthy model of that. Submission to God and one another. The third thing Koinonia accomplishes that the world needs is it creates space for us to celebrate our hope in Jesus and be vulnerable with one another at the same time. I have to say it again. Koinonia creates a space for us to celebrate our hope in Jesus and be vulnerable with one another at the same time. Let me, let me explain that and unpack that a little further. Real koinonia happens when those two things aren't exclusive. But both are being practiced and valued. Here's what I mean. We can be honest and vulnerable about things that are broken in our lives and in the world. And we can celebrate the hope we have in Jesus. And his ongoing work of redemption and the restoration of all things. It doesn't have to be one or the other. See, some of the conflicts we feel sometimes when we come together for worship, and Ian alluded to this this morning. I don't know if you picked up on it, but he said some people here, you're really excited to sing that song, yes and amen, all God's promises are yes and amen, right? You're celebrating the hope you have in Jesus. Then there's another group of people here like, man, it's hard for me to say that right now. It doesn't feel like God's answering my prayers. It feels distant from me, and I have this brokenness in my life. And Listen. Real koinonia makes room for both of those things at the same time. They're not not exclusive. 
And so our tension is walking in this place, okay, where I, I, I need to be open and honest and vulnerable about the brokenness inside me and in the world, but I also need to be able to step into a place where I can put my hope and trust in Jesus and celebrate my hope in Jesus, that he's restoring all things, he's redeeming the world, right? And so sometimes we come to a worship service and we live in this tension too. So we have multiple tensions of following Jesus. I'm losing my life. I'm finding my life. I'm, I'm celebrating the hope I have in Jesus, but I'm also being vulnerable and open about the brokenness that's in me and around me. And we have to walk this tightrope sometimes. But koinonia makes room for that. It's why it's important. It's why the world needs it. Can I just close by giving you four practical suggestions on how to practice koinonia? And then we'll close. Okay. Let me give you four suggestions. And I don't have chapter and verses for these. So you're just going to have to take it for what it is. Take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) Number one, here's the first suggestion I have for you to practice koinonia. Make an effort to be a friend to someone. And resist the narcissist in you. Because all of us are narcissists. We look to be friends with people who remind us of ourselves. So resist that and look to be a friend of someone. Uh, and and notice, I, I, notice I use this language, be a friend, not find a friend. The reason I say that is because one thing that I've learned is that people who are looking for friends usually don't find any. But people who are looking to be a friend have tons of friends. So don't just look for a friend. Look to be a friend. Sacrifice. Invest in someone else other than yourself. Right? A lot of times when we look for friendships, we're looking for what the benefit of that that relationship and friendship gives me. But Koinonia works backwards. So no, I'm going to see what I can invest and sacrifice for someone else. I remember um, many years ago when my oldest son, Jared was, hasn't, wasn't born yet. And my wife and I had gone through two miscarriages and we were about to lose him. And so she was placed on very strict bed rest for I think it was up to nine weeks that she, she couldn't leave her bed. And we had people from the church that we were part of bring meals to our house for several weeks. And not only would they just bring meals, but they would come and they, they would sit by her bedside and keep her company when I was at work. See, that's sacrificing and investing. That's being a friend, right? So that's the first piece of advice I would give you. Look to be a friend to someone. Second suggestion on how to practice koinonia. Look for spaces that provide intentional, deep, formative, spiritual conversations. Guys and gals, listen. We get enough shallow conversations in our week, right? We have enough surfacey conversations. How you doing? Good. Hey, the weather's nice, huh? Yeah. We get, we get plenty of those opportunities. But there are not a lot of places that offer intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversation. And let me just make another plug for our small groups. There's not a lot of places like this, folks where you can get together with people 
And, and maybe it's diving into scripture. Maybe it's praying for one another. Maybe it's just being vulnerable, but also finding the, of, of what's broken, but also finding the hope that you have in Jesus and celebrating it with other people and having really meaningful spiritual conversation and prayer. And the thing about it is it's super inconvenient, right? I mean, you, got, you worked all day. And you rush and you get dinner and oh my gosh, small groups at seven and I got to drive across town. And for some of you, you have to leave your town and go to another town and you've got kids to get ready for school. You've got lunches to pack for, for you at work, whatever it is. It's, it's inconvenient, but you can't experience koinonia without being inconvenienced. That's the cost of enjoying real relationships and doing mission together. It just is. It's just a, it's a, there's a cost involved. So my second practical advice, look for opportunities to do that, to engage in intentional spiritual conversation. Third piece of advice I'll give you to practice koinonia, serve someone with someone. There's a mantra that we adopted here at the well, and it says that connection happens by serving others with others. That koinonia happens when not only do we serve other people, but we serve other people with other people. We partner with others in the mission of Jesus. So that's the third piece of advice. The final piece of advice I'll give you for uh, practicing koinonia is don't minimize the value of coming together with your church family to worship. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says this, don't give up on meeting together, but encourage one another. One of my fears is that the American church has done itself a real disservice because we've made church a place to come and consume spiritual goods and services. And in so doing, we've communicated to folks that coming to church is all about you and what you need from God. Instead of what you can contribute to your spiritual family. And we become so focused on what we need, we've forgotten that God wants to use us to encourage and minister to other people. Whether that's through a conversation, through a prayer. Honestly, just being physically present can mean the world to somebody. How many spaces do you have in a week where you can come together with people who are of like mind, who are experiencing the same tensions of following Jesus as you are, and, and, and just be physically present? I'm going to tell you guys this. There are folks in our church, they don't have any other time during their week when they can be encouraged. They have someone who will actually encourage them and pray for them, smile at them, ask them how they're doing. And so when we make, I have, a, I have a theory. Can I share my theory with you? <laughs> it's just a theory. But I have a theory that people will eventually give up on church if they make it about themselves. And they never, ever tap in to experiencing koinonia. I, I, I really believe that. I've been, I've been in occupational ministry as a pastor now for 20 plus years. The, the moment people start making church about themselves, I know that they won't be here long. But, the, but, but for people who, who view 
the church body as a, a spiritual family, they can come and, and contribute and encourage. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says that. Don't give up meeting together. It's hard, man. <laughs> There's a lot of knuckleheads in the church, and, and the, pa- the, pa- the pastor has it all together, but he's the only one that has... The, <laughs> But he says, don't give up a meeting together because there's a lot of stuff, man, involved in church. Oh, right? You just plug your nose and you're like, oh, really? Don't give up, he says. Meeting together, but encourage one another. Experience koinonia. Invest in someone. Be an encouragement and a minister to someone. So I'm going to give you some homework, okay? And then we'll close. I want you to practice koinonia this week one of those four ways. Let me just go over them again. Number one, be a friend to someone. Sacrifice and invest in someone this week. And resist the narcissist in you when you do that. Okay, two, create an opportunity or look for an opportunity to have a deep formative conversation and resist the shallows. We're programmed to be shallow. It's what our culture does to us. Resist it. Look for an opportunity to have a formative conversation with somebody. And it's going to feel weird. Ask them, what's God's been speaking to you? What? Nobody's asked me that question before. Good. Ask it. Three, serve someone with someone. Look for an opportunity to do that. And four, come on to a worship gathering this month and be ready to encourage someone else. Got those homework assignments? You do one of those four things? All right, why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Father, we come before you, and I come before you, and I know as a pastor how messed up the church is and how messed up I am as the the, the supposed spiritual leader of this church. And you have so much grace for me and and so much mercy. I'm so thankful. God, I'm so thankful that you allow me the privilege of being vulnerable about what's broken in me with my church family but also the opportunity to celebrate the hope that I have in Jesus. God, all of us in this room, we're living in this tension of losing our life so we could find the life that we have in your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would um, help us along in that, to, to become even comfortable in that tension. Become comfortable in the tension of where we we can be open and vulnerable about the brokenness in our lives, but we can also get together with with others in our church family and we can celebrate the hope we have in Jesus together. Help us with that tension too. And Lord, koinonia is not something that comes natural to any of us because we're human and we're we're flawed and we're selfish and we're self-centered. But God, we thank you for the grace that you give us when you call us into it. So we rely on that grace. Help us. Help us with our homework assignment this week. If we can take one of these four practices and incorporate them in our life. Lord, I'm just in awe. In Acts chapter 2, the church had four spiritual rhythms, and this was one of them. And it's so foreign to us in our culture. We pray you help us with it. Because it's a representation of the kingdom of God. So help us, Lord, to, to step out and to engage Koinonia and build strong ties. And maybe even spend less time devoting ourselves to weak ties. Lord, we ask that your grace would be pouring down on us this, this week as we, as we practice these rhythms. 
and we'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 